It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Toronto Raptors find themselves in an 0-2 hole against the Philadelphia 76ers after a Game 2 loss on Monday. We'll dig into how the Sixers have taken control of this series and are playing in a way that they have not really played all season long. Plus, we'll dig into what the Raptors did well in this one. There were some positive moments. We'll talk about the impact of the injuries, which can't be understated. Plus, we'll take a view from 10,000 feet on what this series means for the Raptors and where they go forward from here as they try to get back on track in Game 3 on Wednesday. All coming up today on your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1161 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, April the 19th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And you can subscribe to, follow, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and all the different audio apps. We are also on YouTube. You can go subscribe over there. Hit the big red subscribe button. And you're going to want to do that now because the podcast is going live, baby. Wednesday night after game three. Around 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I'll be going live from Scotiabank Arena to break down Game 3. Hopefully, a Raptors win as they try to claw this thing back and hold serve at home. But either way, I'll be there 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to the page right now, subscribe to Lockdown Raptors, and set a reminder for yourself to join that live stream at 11.30. I'll do my typical you know, biggest takeaways, game breakdown, and then I'll take some questions from the listeners at the end of the show. So please jump in there. Hopefully, I see you there. And uh, looking forward forward to that on Wednesday night over on the YouTube channel. Big thank you for making us your first listen of the day as always too. Let's get into it, shall we? Your Toronto Raptors down 2-0 to the Sixers after last night's 112-97 loss, a game that really exposed the need for more than 5 healthy rotation players. Uh yeah, that's kind of the big takeaway from this one to start off. We'll get into things the Raptors did well in this one, some other things they did not so well, and we will kind of take a bigger picture view of the series in the back part of the show too, but we probably have to start with the injuries thing, and it's boring, it's reductive, it's simple, but it kind of can't be understated that the Raptors, without Thaddeus Young at full steam playing just nine minutes with the, the thumb injury, with Gary Trent Jr. looking like he has some sort of medieval illness going on, only getting 10 minutes of pretty ineffectual basketball out of him, and then also when it came to uh, Scotty Barnes not being there, like... That's three of your typical eight rotation guys that you trust most. Ken Birch is the ninth guy. He sprinkled in and actually played fine, I thought, last night, if, you know, kind of underwhelming. But 
you know, we've seen this Raptors team all season long when there's one or two chinks in the armor, things can kind of fall apart quickly because they are such a rhythm based team because they're so built upon their connectivity on defense. When you start to take pieces out of that and you just are overextending other guys, you're just running into a point where there's just not enough guys, not enough players to disperse the minutes to across a game and still have a competitive edge, right? Like, Fred Van Vliet, for example, let's begin with him in this game, who was excellent in the first quarter. The Raptors themselves were pretty damn good in the first quarter, won the quarter despite Embiid playing all 12 minutes. You're a plus one in Joel Embiid minutes. That's a win, baby. But they, of course, lost the Embiid list minutes. Once again, they were a minus eight without him. And, you know, that that first quarter could not be sustained because Fred Van Vliet played the first 32 minutes of this game. He only rested at halftime and then got some rest later in the third quarter. But you had to kind of do it. He started off so well. He was four of six from three in the first quarter. He finishes the game just five of 16. So finishes one of 10. Pretty brutal stuff. But it kind of stands to reason considering he had to be on the floor for the Raptors to be competitive. You know, it's just... It's nice. The the idea of next man up is a beautiful thing. It's like, oh, well, a guy goes down, you just slide a guy in. Well, there's the thing. There's a guy. There's a reason why the guy behind the guy that goes down is behind the guy that goes down to begin with. He's not as good a player. And so it's really difficult when you have only five of your typical trusted eight guys and you're sprinkling in a Malachi Flynn or a Kem Birch. There's just there's just not enough in terms of like playoff ready playoff suitable players available on the roster. And maybe that's a design flaw in the team. And that's certainly something that the Raptors will have to approach and, and look at in the offseason. And I'll get to that actually in the back part of the show as well. But, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that the Raptors lost this game after starting off pretty strong. It was a very torrid first quarter, uh, very physical, very uh, elbowy and all of that. And it's not terribly surprising that you run out of gas over the course of 48 minutes when you have to ride the same five guys, more or less, for most of the game. Um, you know, Gary Trent Jr., credit to him, tried to gut it out. He looks just like he's been hit by a bus when he's on the floor right now. And, you know, he had a couple of nice defensive moments, I thought, specifically on James Harden. That was nice to see. But overall, it just was a really sort of, you know, non-showing from Trent. And I don't think you can blame him. He looks really, really freaking sick. Nick Nurse said after the game, they probably should have just held him out. With Thad Young, I mean, he'd hit the one floater with the left hand. That's nice to see, but he didn't look like himself either. And, you know, when you're a guy like Thad, who A, is like a pretty good passer, you want the ball in your hands a little bit, you know, having a thumb injury on your dominant hand is going to be a problem. And also applies when you're playing defense and you're a deflection hunter and stuff like that. Like that has to be on your mind, at least psychologically, when your thumb is busted. And so... You know, you just don't have that. And then obviously, you no know, Scotty Barnes. I mean, he was so damn good for them in game one. It's a serious drop off. And maybe there's an issue if a team is this dependent on a rookie to be successful. But I think it does go to Nick Nurse's whole concept of you don't need everybody to be amazing every night, but everyone kind of has to be average for this Raptors team to really get into the rhythm that they are, you know, they're usually fine when they're playing their best basketball. And so, again, it's boring. There's not a lot to really analyze when injuries are this big a, a culprit for what's going wrong, but it's undeniably a big reason why the Raptors haven't had the or didn't have the juice last night. You know, game one was its own thing. They played really badly and the Sixers played an excellent game. But last night, you know, it was a, comp a compounding thing of the Sixers playing a very good game and also the Raptors just having no juice, even though I think on the floor, 
they did a lot of things that I think could potentially translate to wins in this series. They just have to do it for longer than, you know, 12 minute stretches. Um, you know, the Sixers also deserve a lot of credit here. If we're looking at other reasons why the Raptors lost this game beyond the injury stuff, I mean, the Sixers have done a wonderful job of just resting control of this series and the way things are being played. And they've done so by playing a completely different style, really, in some facets than they did in the regular season, where they were a low pace team. And it's not the low pace that the Raptors had. You know, they were both, I think, three and four, like third and fourth slowest teams in terms of overall pace this season. The Raptors numbers are all kind of funky because of their offensive rebounding totals, totally throwing things out of whack. Uh, whereas the Sixers, not an offensive rebounding team at all. They're just a slow, grinded out half court team. They don't run a ton. And they have been running down the Raptors' throats in this series. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, the Raptors are spread thin, and they were certainly spread thin last night. They're spread thin on a good day. And the same way that you think, oh, well, if you could just go batter Joel Embiid for three quarters, eventually he's going to wear down. He's going to get tired out in the fourth quarter. He might start missing shots and have no legs. Stands to reason to go the other way as well. If you're at the Sixers and you're looking at the Raptors with five viable players who you trust in a playoff game, and you're just running off of misses, you're running off of makes, like, shut it to James Harden. Harden is, like, nothing special right now. I don't think he's been terribly effective in this series or terribly impressive. And if the Sixers have designs on winning a title, they're going to need a way better version of James Harden. But he's done a really good job of getting the, the ball off of misses and just pushing it. And the Raptors have been unable to get set in their defense. And again, the whole thing I've talked about this season with this team and the rhythm that they are trying to find, it's a positive feedback loop or a negative feedback loop. And the positive feedback loop is established by getting set on defense, doing their, you know, hedge and recover and fly all over defense, force turnovers, all of this stuff, and then getting out on the run. And then it just kind of becomes a, a constant cycle here. And they have not been able to get that defense set because the Sixers have been making them uncomfortable and have been playing kind of against the scouting report, which credit to Doc Rivers for doing that and sort of coaching this team up in the week leading up to the series to specifically target the things that the Raptors do well and try to keep them out of doing those things. Um, you know, Tyrese Maxey's been an absolutely huge part of that as well. He's been incredible. 21, 9, and 8 for him last night. I mean, sorry, 23, 9, and 8 on 8 of 11, 3 of 6 from downtown. He's just destroying the Raptors in transition, in semi-transition. Just whenever he gets the ball, he is jetting. He clearly has the directive from Doc Rivers to just go. And the Raptors are having a really hard time containing him as well. And they're not doing themselves any favors on the other side of things, too. And this kind of speaks to just, you know, the Raptors playing outside of themselves and outside of their typical sort of very smart identity. This is a smart team that plays smart basketball and really kind of knows where to be, and where to step in and all of this stuff. And I think uh, on offense, they play a pretty smart game, too, where they realize their advantage is that they can go mismatch hunting with their big, tall players who have ball handling skills and scoring chops. And I don't think they've been doing that enough in this series either, specifically when it comes to Maxi, who has basically been just a turnstile whenever the Raptors get him switched on to Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi. Even Fred Van Vliet's had a pretty good time getting around Maxi, but they're not attacking that nearly enough. They're not poking at that wound in the Sixers defense. And it's surprising because I thought that's what the Raptors were really gearing themselves up to do the entirety of the regular season was to be a mismatch hunting team that in theory was going to translate over pretty well 
to the postseason. Uh, you know, on the other side, there have been some pretty bad missteps as well. The ball watching with James Harden continued in this one. They got lucky in this game because they missed a few of those open threes that James Harden created. But I mean, they can guard Harden in single coverage right now with whoever they want. OG, even Gary Trent Jr. with the plague was staying in front of Harden for a couple of possessions last night and giving him trouble and forcing him into pull up threes and, and tough shots. And, you know, I, I think the Raptors need to be smarter about the way that they're helping when Harden has the ball in his hands. Make him a scorer. He is not shooting well right now. He's shooting miserably from two-point range in this series. Like, try to make him into a scorer, and you're probably going to have better success than him just spraying passes out to Tyrese Maxey or Tobias Harris or Danny Green. And they've just been caught too many times, even like they're better defenders. Pascal Siakam, who is so schooled in the principles of this Raptors defense, helping in off the corners way too much, just kind of leaving a Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey or her George's Niang, just hanging in the corner, waiting for that pass from Harden. It's so telegraphed and obvious. And I think they cleared it up a little bit as the game went along, but that's been a big thing too. So it's not just that they're injured for sure. They have not been doing themselves any favors to improve their station, but at the same time, you know, the same way that, you know, the idea of, well, you're, you play heavy minutes, you're going to, you're not going to have any wind. You're going to have, you know, the tired legs and all of this stuff. It also goes to your mind, right? Like if you're exhausted, you're not making decisions with the same quickness and sharpness that you typically would be. And that is bleeding in, I think, pretty clearly to the way the Raptors are playing against the Sixers in this series. They're just not playing like themselves. And I think a big part of that is that they're exhausted. But what is the alternative? Like Fred Van Vliet has to play heavy minutes because I don't trust Malachi Flynn to run the offense. I don't trust that they have enough shooting without Fred Van Vliet on the floor to really execute things in the half court. They need him out there. So I don't really begrudge Nurse for playing him 44 minutes because the alternatives are not anything very inspiring. And so it's tough stuff, but you know, game three comes up on Wednesday. There are some things to build upon, I think, from game two that we can talk about coming up in just one second here. But the Raptors got to be smarter and the Raptors uh, hopefully got to get some health back and just more guys they can lean on because, uh, you know, the, the minutes dispersal right now is just it's with the way this series is being played, how physical and how high octane it is. The Raptors just need more guys. They need more horses. They need more guys who can soak up minutes. And without Barnes, Thad or Trent to do that last night, they were dead in the water. Uh, we're going to continue on, build on some positive things, talk about OG Ananobi and a nice game that he put together. I thought Precious Achua had an excellent defensive performance in this one. We'll talk about that coming up in just one second here. But first, I do want to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks, who are who have made daily fantasy easy. And the playoffs are a wonderful, wonderful time to play daily fantasy. I'm not really a daily fantasy player, but if I were to play, it would be in the playoffs where you're not worried about the season long. You're not worried about guys resting or anything like that. You just get pure basketball with guys out there every single night and you can go and have some fun and put some money down and try to win some scratch with prize picks by picking the players and the props that you want. It's a wonderful app because it's just you against the projected numbers. There's not a shadow lineup that you're competing against that you don't know what it is before you go into it. There's no expert who's sort of rigging things behind the scenes. It's just you against the projected numbers. And if you beat those projected numbers, you win money. It's that simple. And you can even do mixed sport entries in prize picks, which is really great too. If you're a baseball fan and a basketball fan, say maybe you want to get some money on a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home run. And also you want to uh, take the over on a Scotty Barnes points prop the next time he plays. You can go do that and be uh, enriched by Toronto's two favorite young sons. That's a wonderful thing to do. Go for a limited time. Prize picks has an exclusive offer. It's a no-brainer offer, really, for all of our listeners. Go 
and get $50 for free if a player in your first prize pick entry scores a single point, but you must use the code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer for Lockdown listeners. Sign up today. Use the code NBA for $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. That is an awesome deal. Go and check out prize picks. They are daily fantasy made easy, and you're going to love them. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at betonline.net. It's your number one source for all of your sports betting stats and info. You can find all the latest sports developments, injury recaps, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and Major League Baseball seasons covered to the gills. You can go and check them out. If you are someone who perhaps wants to do a happiness hedge, which is a wonderful thing you can do in the postseason, if you are a deranged person like me and some of my friends, uh, we do this thing sometimes where we'll put money on the team that the team we like is playing. We usually do this for the hockey playoffs and the Maple Leafs because the Leafs lose all the time and they're very sad. So if you can win money on them losing, it softens the blow. You can also do this for the Raptors if you'd like. If you would like to go and, and bet on the Sixers to win game three, it's a win-win situation. If the Raptors win, yay, the Raptors won. Who cares if you lost some money? And if the Sixers win, hey, you won some money out of it, so it's not all bad. Go and check out all the info you might need to make an informed wager on betonline.net. Go check them out. They have all the trends and action covered for you, and they are where the game starts. And we continue on your first listen of the day here. Now going to turn our attention to some things that went well for the Raptors in game two against Philly. And look, it's not a long list. You know, the first quarter was a, an encouraging stretch, of course. You know, Fred kind of getting unseasonably warm from three. Very helpful there. Uh, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job on Embiid in this game as well. And I, I guess maybe that's the place to start it is, you know, you kind of had the profile of an Embiid game here that you're pretty happy with 31 points, 11 boards, nine of 16 shooting. He was 12 of 14 from the line. We could talk about the free throw stuff in a sec, uh, but he had no assists and four turnovers. That's the blueprint. If you can force Joel Embiid to cough the ball up and not allow him to work out of that extra attention and find good looks, I, I think you're pretty happy. Embiid made some ridiculous shots in this game. He made like a step back three in the corner, made a couple of heavily contested looks along the baseline, I thought the Raptors defended their asses off against him in this one, though. And, you know, Precious Achua, I think, is kind of number one in that. He had, I thought, a really excellent defensive game, particularly the first half. He was just really, really uh, fantastic. You know, pulling the chair out from underneath MB when he was trying to post up a couple times. Uh, you know, pretty decent in single coverage. Always there. You know, not really fouling, I thought, either. Um, at, at like a sort of, you know, troublesome rate or anything like that. He just had three personal fouls in this game. And regarding Joel Embiid for as long as he was, like... That is no small feat. So congrats to him for for that. We had a couple of nice moments on offense too. A couple of beautiful blow buys, which, you know, it all just is kind of the early steps here of whatever Precious Achua is going to be down the line. It's all pretty encouraging stuff. And we're getting to see it in real time against a team that, you know, was a wonderful test for him. I'm loving that this is kind of the series where Precious Achua gets to kind of get his feet wet. That's super fun. And I, I, I'm glad he's getting that opportunity. Glad he started last night as well. It's sort of the silver lining of the injuries is you get more Precious Achua. And I think as much as he can be volatile at times, I thought he was really excellent defensively last night, despite being a team worse minus 24. Don't think that really tells the story here. You know, again, with the Embiid stuff, you know, even Ken Birch, I thought in his minutes where, you know, he only played 19 minutes, which is, I guess, a lot for Ken Birch. Uh, he had five points. He hit a three, which a quarter three, which nearly knocked me out of my chair. Uh, you know, he did a pretty good job in single coverage on Embiid as well. You know, the fouling is its own thing. And, and, you know, they cleaned it up in the second half for sure. The Sixers were a parade to the line in the first half. Not so much in the second half. 
But was it a tilted whistle? Perhaps. I, I still am just so bored by the ref talk. The fouling is not one of the top five reasons why the Raptors lost this game or are down 0-2 in this series. You know, it's it just a guy is seven foot three and a bunch of six foot nine dudes are bouncing off of him. There are going to be fouls called. It's just the way it is. Can Embiid and Harden show a little bit more shame by not flopping all over the place all the time? Yeah, probably. But it can be both. Like they can be flopping on things that are also fouls, which, you know, you had the case last night where Pascal hits Embiid in the face for an offensive foul. Embiid sort of, you know, soaks it up a little bit, relishes the, 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 the theatrics of it all. But like, ultimately it was a foul. And, I think that happened quite a bit in this one. You can foul a guy and he can still flop, and it, it can be a shameful uh, thing to do, but still it's a foul. The Raptors fouled a lot in the first half last night, and I think, you know, again, it was tilted probably, but I, I don't think it's the reason why they lost this game or anything like that. Um, you know, it's it just, I think overall, despite the fouling, they did a pretty damn good job on Embiid, and I think you can build upon what you did here. If you can get those turnovers forced and you can limit his assist totals, that is, I think, kind of step one here on how to defend the Sixers. And if you can couple that with improving your ball watching when it comes to James Harden, you might be cooking with something. And, you know, even in the third quarter, the Raptors offense was butt. They they could not get anything going. They could not hit a shot to save their lives. Fred was missing everything. They still, however, uh, I thought defended quite well to begin that third quarter in particular, where they just sort of were, you know, back to their old principles, forcing misses, uh, getting it on the run. They just weren't really converting. But there were moments in this game where they looked like the Raptors. It wasn't the full 48 minutes. That's for damn sure. Uh, but th there were certainly some encouraging signs, I thought. Um, you know, I think OG Ananobi deserves a lot of credit. He was excellent in this game, continues to be just a really excellent opportunistic scorer. He's not going to create you a ton in the half court with his own creation, although I think they can probably try to go and have him mismatch hunt a little bit more often and be pretty happy if, uh, about the results. Like he's been pretty efficient. If you can get him on Maxi or Harris or Danny Green, I think he can make some hay. And, uh, you know, 26 points on 10 of 14, four of seven from downtown would probably like more threes from OG, honestly, like the dispersal in this game, you get 16 from Fred, seven for OG. The next highest guy is Boucher with three. Like if you can get a little bit more in OG's, uh, you know, three point column, if you can get more from Precious, if you can get more from Siakam even, uh, you know, I think that probably behooves you quite a bit, but you know, OG's done a wonderful job just kind of finishing plays off when it swings to him. That's all you really can ask for the guy from the guy, right? There's going to be a ton of attention paid to Siakam and Fred. If OG's there to be that outlet kind of similar to, you know, 2019 Pascal Siakam, honestly, it's not dissimilar. I think that's a really, really excellent space for him to occupy. And I think his defense remains awesome, right? He's been on James Harden quite a bit. Harden has not looked good. He's been missing his twos. Yes, he's playmaking well, but that's not an OG thing. That's everybody else kind of helping off of uh, their guys and opening up those easy passes for James Harden. Um, I think OG's been really good. He, you know, he's switched on to Embiid pretty comfortably too. And, you know, I still think he probably is best served as the Maxi foil, right? And, and, you know, he had a moment last night where Maxi crossed him up pretty bad for a three. I don't think that tells the story of what OG can do to help limit Maxi. Um, you know, he only guarded him last night for a minute 48 of game time. Compare that to 632 for Fred Van Vliet, 326 for Malachi Flynn. Um, you know, I think you can have OG switch on to Maxi more often. And don't be too scared of that one crossover. He has been really good against quick slippery guards all season. I would like to see that defensive adjustment made a little bit more. And with Precious playing, I think you can kind of afford to do that a little bit and free MB or OG up from the sort of central actions that involve Embiid and have him maybe just kind of shadow Maxi. And maybe that's a way to do it. I don't know. But either way, really nice game from OG. 
And also a really great game from Chris Boucher, who, you know, just the energy he brought. He was so instrumental in the Raptors rediscovering their possession gaming in this one. They take 20 more free field goal attempts than the Sixers do in this game. Six offensive boards from Boucher alone. They win the offensive rebounding battle 13-7. to uh, They win the turnover battle 14-9. to And Boucher just like cleaning up messes, catching air balls and putting them in the bucket. Like he must lead the league in those <laughs> types of buckets as well. The unassisted, assisted alley-oops. Um, you know, he, he, he just was tremendous last night. And I think he's got to play very heavy minutes. He played 30 minutes last night. I might even scale that up a little bit just because the energy he brings is so palpable. He was only a minus one last night, which uh, for for last night's standards, pretty damn good. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just really, really happy with what we saw from Boucher last night. A great bounce back from a foul, trouble-ridden first game of the playoffs. And, you know, this was the Boucher that we've seen all season long. So if you can get that version of Boucher, that's a, a huge, huge thing to just sort of making it so there's more guys on the floor you can trust and not be worried about being on the floor. Uh, and hopefully they just get more back, guys back in time for Wednesday where they can sort of uh, reestablish their typical rotations and all of that. I, I'm not terribly hopeful. We'll see about that. I don't see that thumb really getting better in two days. And Gary Trent Jr., we have no idea where his health status is going to be. And I don't think we're going to see Scotty Barnes, at least on Wednesday. Maybe we get him on Saturday for game four. It'll be a week removed from the injury. Jeff Stotts, who's a wonderful injury expert on Twitter, pointed out earlier this weekend that, you know, the average time out for an unspecified ankle sprain where they don't indicate the, the grade or the high or low or whatever it might be, uh, you know, the average time of return is six days. You know, Scotty was in a walking boot last night, so I don't know if you can count on that. But at least if you're looking for hope, that's something there. Because um, there was stuff to build on here. And I think if you just had more guys to do the things the Raptors were able to execute tonight, you'd be able to sort of protract it out over 48 minutes a little bit more effectively. Uh, we're going to wrap things up in just a sec, come back on the other side, and take more of a sort of 10,000-foot view of this series. And there's a comparison to a recent Toronto sports team that I'd like to throw out for this year's Raptors team. Yes, they're down 0-2. Yes, things seem doom and gloomy. Yes, there's the potential of an upsetting sweep here. But it's not as bad as the sort of current situation suggests it might be. And I think there's a recent Toronto team that we can kind of compare the Raptors to just to sort of give a little bit of perspective on where things sit with this Raptors team and where they go from here. Before we do that, though, just a reminder that you can go and check out our friends at rockauto.com anytime that you have auto parts needs. They are a wonderful, wonderful company that are helping you get the power back when you go to the mechanic. It sucks going to the mechanic. Your car's busted. You need to get something fixed on it, and they... Usually only have one part in stock. They might have to bring it in from somewhere else. So you're waiting for that and all that stuff too. Why not go to rockauto.com where you can have selection over all the different makes and models and all the different uh, options for each part. You don't just get one part to choose from. You can pick two or three, pick the brand you want and the price that you want most importantly, and you're going to save yourself a ton of money. The chain store is going to run you as much as they possibly can without getting sued for the parts that you're going to get. If you go to rockauto.com, they're a family business. They've been doing it for for a long time and their prices are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers, you can get yourself the parts you need for less and with the selection that you just can't get at your local chain store. You can get everything you might need from brake parts and tail lamps to new carpets and everything in between. Go explore their easy-to-use website. If I can use it, you can use it because I know nothing about cars and I can easily navigate and get the parts I need. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we have reached the final segment of the show. We've done away with the due to the game, by the way, for the playoffs. There's just too much to dig into from these playoff games to talk about one guy in the due to the game. If I was to give it out to somebody, it's Chris Boucher. He had a wonderful game, so shout out to him. But I kind of want to take a a bit of a step back here and, and look at the Raptors from a bit of a you know, 10,000 foot, you know, 30,000 foot, whatever it is, the the bigger scale picture of this series and what it actually means in the grand scheme of this Raptors team. You know, I think there's the easy sort of thing to jump to where, oh man, they're down 0-2, they could get swept. This is as bad as it's ever been. The toil, oh my God, this is as bad as the Cavs series back in the day. Uh, No, (laughs) there is just very little comparison you can draw between this version of the Raptors and a theoretical series loss in four or five games, and any of the catastrophic flameouts of the past decade for the Raptors. You know, you go back even to 2013-14, which I think is the closest corollary to this season. That season still had the uncertainty of Kyle Lowry. Is he even going to be back after this season? What does the team look like next year? It was just a one-year flash in the pan where you ruined your chances of tanking and have completely set yourself up for mediocrity for years to come. That was on the table at the end of the 2014 season and the 2014 playoffs. The 2015 year, there were more expectations. Lowry's back. It's all very exciting. They completely flame out, get swept by the Wizards. That was a nightmare. 2016, can't really be upset about anything there. Losing six to the Cavs, that's fine. But then 2017, they get swept by the Cavs. It is a disaster. Kyle Lowry misses the last couple of games with an ankle injury. Could he have come back? Could he have not? There's a little bit of, you know, misreporter, sort of mixed reporting on that one. Um, Either way, that felt like the end of the Kyle Lowry era in 2017. And it just happened he came back because the market dictated it. But that was a troublesome, awful, awful collapse for the Raptors in that second round. Never looked competitive for a second in that series. And then in 2018, they looked very competitive in game one, have the most depressing loss probably in recent Raptors playoff history with the missed tippins at the end of game one. And they go on and lose to the Cavs in four games again. DeMar DeRozan gets traded. Dwayne Casey gets fired. It's kind of feels like the end of an era. They somehow managed to pull Kawhi Leonard out of it and win a title. But like those past years, those losses had real stakes and they were truly, truly upsetting. These were teams for the Raptors that were one, two, or three seeds that had won tons of games that have been net rating darlings throughout the season who had completely pasted bad competition and performed pretty well against good competition in most of those cases. And they lost in the playoffs horribly. This Raptors team was not even expected to be here in 2022, right? They were, you know, a, a sexy team that kind of came on in the second half, ended up with 48 wins, way over what anybody expected. Even the most optimistic people who thought the Vegas over-unders of 36 and a half were insane were not pegging in 48 wins for this Raptors team. They have overachieved. Scotty Barnes, well ahead of schedule. He is in year one of what figures to be a pretty goddamn awesome career. And there's just like nothing about this year's playoff loss will change that trajectory whatsoever. Uh, you you kind of established a core this season that looks like something that can be built upon in the future. Are there problems? Yeah. Is the depth a concern? Definitely. Is shooting a concern? Sure. Is it just like the overall sort of theory of 
playing with six foot nine guys all the time super viable when you come up against a guy like Joel Embiid? I don't think we've actually really gotten the answer to that in this series because of the lack of health, but certainly a question. But that said, this feels very much like the ground floor of something in a way that the past losses of the last decade just never did. And I'm saying all this, the Raptors could still come back even this series at two. They've done that three times in the last six years after going down 0-2. Like, they could easily turn this thing around at home and hold serve. You know, you get so down after losing two games on the road. The Raptors often, like, they've never had this, right? They've been the home team more often than not in recent years in the postseason. And so it's a bit of a different dynamic when you're going home for games three and four down two. All of this is to say, this Raptors team is at the very beginning of whatever the next four, five, six years are going to look like in their trajectory, in their growing wind curve. Are things going to change at some point? Sure. Will guys get cycled out of the core? Probably. That happens with age and just circumstance, contract situations, all of that. But we know that Scotty Barnes is here in Toronto for eight, nine years, whatever it's going to be. That's awesome. He rocks. He's having a great time. Everyone's having a great time watching Scotty Barnes. Pascal Siakam had himself a season, and he wasn't awesome in game two. Bad shooting. He looked completely gassed, honestly, missing some easy bunnies and stuff like that. But we know Pascal Siakam, a couple years left on his contract. He's an excellent player. He's a part of the solution and part of the next great Raptors team, probably. Fred Van Vliet, obviously the injury stuff this season kind of wearing down over the course of the year. Not awesome. Probably got to be smarter about managing his minutes the way they had to with Kyle Lowry back in the day. But like he's part of this thing. OG is part of this thing. Precious Achua is part of this thing going forward for sure. There's a lot to be excited about, even though it's an incomplete team. And, I, you know, I mentioned they remind me of a recent Toronto sports team. And that team is the 2020 shortened season Toronto Blue Jays. That team had a lot of interesting young talent, was expected to maybe be like a 500-ish team, and they ended up sneaking into the expanded playoffs in that shortened season. They go 32-28. and 28. There's some nice stories. They get some breakouts. Teoscar Hernandez goes nuts. We start seeing the early inklings of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being Vlad, even though he didn't really have his full breakout till last year. But either way, you saw that team as sort of at the beginning of something cool. They lose in the playoffs. I don't think anybody remembers them losing in the playoffs in two games to the Rays in the mini three-game series. They got completely uh, wiped out by that Rays team. And it was a bummer for like two seconds. And then you realize, oh God, this team is loaded with 21-year-olds who are amazing. This is going to be fun for the next many, many years. This is what this Raptors team feels like to me. Feels like that 2020 Jays team. Maybe a little bit green, getting to the postseason, not quite ready in terms of roster construction, in terms of just having all the horses on hand for playoff success, not to mention all the injury stuff. I mean, the injuries completely throw a whole new wrench into the conversation for this year's Raptors team. But, you know, I've said on this podcast before, and, you know, maybe you're a new listener, you haven't heard me say it, so I'll repeat myself, but... I never view the NBA through the lens of like a one season as like, okay, this is like the story arc of one season and that like the NBA takes place, the storylines play out over many years, over half decades, over decades. And to boil it all down to one season just is missing the forest for the trees. This is the beginning of whatever this arc for the Raptors is going to be. All great teams that eventually get somewhere great have the moment where they get their asses kicked early on in the playoffs, whether it's LeBron early in his career, whether it's, you know, even the Memphis Grizzlies, who a couple years ago make it, you know, they lose in the play-in game, they lose last year in the playoffs, they get in this year, and, like, they feel like they're ready to kind of ascend, although maybe the Wolves are going to have something to say about that. But either way, 
All great teams have to go through this at some point on their way to becoming great. The Raptors are not a great team just yet. They're a good team. They're a fun team. They're a wildly interesting team and an incredibly enjoyable team to watch and talk about. But if you had thought that this team is some sort of championship contender, you're kidding yourself. Like the Sixers were a specifically interesting matchup because the way the Raptors have annoyed them so much in recent years and because the Sixers felt particularly fragile. I still pick the Sixers to win the series. I still thought they, you know, they have the best player. Joel Embiid's incredible. As much as you might argue with him flopping and all this stuff, he's unbelievable. And so they always had the inside track on winning this series. The Raptors just don't quite have the horses across the board to compete. And again, at full health, I think it's a different story in this series. I think it's going long for sure. And the Sixers are not walking all over the Raptors like they did last night. Um, and, and, you know, and look, game one, they played a miserable game. The Sixers played an incredible game. There's only so much you can do about that. But, you know, I, I just think for anyone who's like concerned about, oh, no, does this maybe this is me not talking to anybody. Right. Maybe nobody feels upset about this series loss. It, You know, Twitter is its own sort of thing. It's not really real life. You know, it seems like it's probably more sort of pandemonium on there than it is in just sort of the general minds of people who follow and care about the team. But if you are concerned about this being some sort of, you know, thing that's going to derail the future or anything like that, if you feel like it's at all in comparison to recent playoff losses, it's just not. It's just kind of the the road that teams have to go when they're early in their trajectory. And this team is very early on in its trajectory. Yes, they have some older vets, but they are still young guys <laughs> and sort of getting their first taste of being the guys on a playoff team. You know, it's been two years since Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet were in, in the playoffs and they were completely different players two years ago than they are today. They're just getting their feet wet as the sort of leaders of the team. OG as well. Like, it's okay to have a stumbling block here in their first playoff series of the post-Kyle Lowry era. You know, talk to me in a year or two if things continue to stagnate and all of that. But for now, the 2022 Blue Jays are the team to look at. That team kicks ass now. and They're going to be very good all season long. They have loaded up their team. They have built upon their weaknesses. They've added and addressed things. And I think now they're set up for many, many years of success. The Raptors will get there too. Scotty Barnes is too good for that not to happen with the way the NBA works. If he continues to flash all of this star potential and add to his game and continue to undergo the growth that we've seen already since he joined the NBA, you're laughing if you're the Raptors for the, for the years to come. And this season will look like a weird, funny little blip on the radar that we'll actually remember, remember pretty fondly because of what happened in the regular season and all the strides that were made that helped set up whatever it is that comes after this. So again, I'm not doing the whole eulogy for the team just yet. Like there's still two games at home to go here. They can win on Wednesday. It's very much back open. Doc Rivers, uh, notably a guy who uh, has some trouble with two game leads in series. So we'll hold our breath on that one. But even if this does end up petering out because the health is not there and they just don't have enough guys to field a competitive team over 48 minutes against the Sixers, that does not ruin this season in any way it's not something to be too worried about the best is yet to come if things go awry here to close the season series and uh you know it's not going to be something that i'm upset about for more than like a day or two and i'll be i'll just look ahead to the future and say oh well scotty barnes is here that that's really kind of what it all boils down to uh with that We'll round out today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always, and uh, making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on today, our daily general sports show. I'm on that show today as well. If you want to go and take a listen to that, talk with my pal Peter Bukowski about the Raptors over there. 
you can also uh, get yourself subscribed to the YouTube channel and set a reminder so you don't miss the live show tomorrow night, 11.30 p.m. Eastern time after Raptor Sixers. After I finish my postgame stuff, I will dig into a live recap show. Breaking it all down, I'll take questions in the final segment from uh, listeners. You have to be subscribed to be part of the chat, so that's how we rope you in. Go and subscribe. Be part of the chat tomorrow, and I look forward to uh, seeing you in there and uh, and doing the show. Or that's not t- is that tomorrow? Yeah, it is tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday, eleven thirty Eastern. There won't be a morning podcast on Wednesday. Just my schedule is kind of weird tomorrow. I have some travel I got to do in the morning. Uh, but the Wednesday podcast will drop, and that you know that'll be your Thursday episode, I suppose, if you're listening on the regular feed, not watching it live. Friday, I'll do an episode with Rohan Nadkarni from SI and the Open Floor Podcast, who is wonderful. We're going to talk sort of big picture Raptor stuff and look ahead to game four of the series. Hopefully not a Viking funeral for the team. And then uh, on Saturday after the game, I'll do another podcast from the arena. So that'll be your fifth podcast for the week. The day is a little bit weird, but in the playoffs, I like to sort of tailor it to the schedule a little bit more and uh, not worry so much about the weekends versus weekdays or whatever. So that's what you have to look forward to the next three episodes this week. Tomorrow night, 1130 Eastern Time, Rohan from Open Floor on Friday and then a Saturday episode after the game, breaking it all down for you live once again on the YouTube channel. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow night after game three with the live reaction show. Again, go subscribe. We'll talk to you then with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.